Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That Time When. Hello! The comedy history podcast where each week we take you back in time to a strange or unusual event that's happened in our history. Because it's not just my history, it's our history. It's our story. (laughs) (laughs) Our island story, Ah. as we should all focus on, as we all know. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, today I want to start off with a literary quote. You haven't introduced yourself yet. Who are you? Oh, you're right. No, I I did that last week as well. (laughs) I am Barnaby King. I'm your host for this week. And joining me as ever is Amelia Edwards. Hello. Ah, sorry. I was was getting all het up there to get started on the episode. Um, Yeah, I do have to to try and remember to introduce us. Yes, hi. Hello. Hello. How are you? Are you having a good day? Yeah, you feeling all right? You're looking a bit peaky. You sure everything's okay? Well, we're here if you need us. Have anyway, a cup of tea. Have a yeah, sit down. Yeah, have a sit down and listen. Listen as I expose the truth. <gasps> yes. So, like I said, I'm going to start off with a literary quote. Okay. There's no security or peace or tranquility except underground. Um, that was said by Mr. Badger um, of Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. And I think... That we can all resonate with that quote. Um, what's happening? Well, the reason I started off with that quote is because the government's been lying to us all and the mainstream media just wants to help them in their goal of telling us that Mr. Badger is not real. People, wake up. Mr. Badger was a real person. What? <laughs> okay. What? So, okay. Let's take a step back and look at what you're really saying here. <laughs> okay. So you're saying mm-hmm. that Kenneth Graham's character that he created for a children's book... The Wind in the Willows. The Wind in the Willows, a badger... Yep. ...was a real badger. No, no. I'm being a bit facetious, as is the clickbaity title of this episode. Very well. <laughs> no, but Mr. Badger was inspired by a real person. Really? Yes, a real-life lord, uh, Lord William John Cavendish Scott Bentinck. Dig. Okay, say that again. William John Cavendish Scott Bentinck. Bentinck? Bentinck. Oh, my God. He's more commonly known as John Bentinck, 5th Duke of Portland and Marquess of Titchfield. <laughs> oh, no, I thought it was going to be shorter and then it wasn't. Well, I mean, John Bentinck, you can just go by. That's okay. generally how he's referred to. It's a tradition in their family that... All sons are called William. Right. Every son has William as the first name, but they have different second names, so they generally go by the second name. Oh my god. <laughs> What's the po- Okay, fine. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know the point. Do you know that was actually the same with uh, Marie Antoinette's family? Really? Yeah, I think they were all called Marie. Oh wow. Or something. They they all had the same first name and then they all went by their second names. Yeah. Okay. So what her, her second name was Antoinette? No, Antoinette was her surname. I was going to say, yeah, sorry, that was me being dumb. I I Uh, think they were called things like Marie Claire and Marie Francoise or something. Right, I see. But also, why would you do... what? I don't know why you do that, but as you'll see, this family might be kind of prone to eccentricity. Okay. So... All right, William. just realised I have to apologise. Yeah? I'm really sorry. Oh, okay. Um, because when you asked if Maria Antoinette's second name was, like, second part of her name was Antoinette. Yeah? Yes. Yes! Um, Results! <laughs> she was Maria... I am the king. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was Maria Antonia, which right. turns into Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Um, Incidentally, her other sisters were Maria Anna, Maria Christine, Maria Elizabeth, Maria Amalia, Maria Joanna, Maria Josepha, and Maria Carolina. And her mother was Maria Teresa. Oh my God. They're as bad as the Williams. I know. <laughs> the Bentinks, I should say. <laughs> no, we'll just call them the Williams from yeah, now on. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> they might as well. If all the boys are called William, they might as well just call them the Williams. I mean, really. So what was her surname? She didn't have one ah, um, because she was the daughter of the Emperor of Austria. Right, I see. Okay. Okay. Well, back to the Bentings. Back to the Bentings. During <laughs> during his time as the fifth Duke of Portland, 
John Bentinck had a couple of different nicknames. One of them was the Mad Duke or the Mad Lord. Cool. And also the Tunneling Lord. Oh my god. Okay. So, okay. So, so, what <laughs> era is this? This is, well, John Bentinck is born in 1800. Okay. He was the second son of the fourth Duke of Portland, who's just referred to as William Bentinck. I don't know why he didn't get another name. <laughs> unlike, but... unlike all the other William Bentinck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Okay. So it seems that the family kind of had this possibly private, possibly kind of misanthropic street where they didn't really like to be kind of outside. Okay. John and his, I believe it was nine siblings. All of them called William. (laughs) Well, the men were, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the women were all called William. (laughs) The women were called Wilhelmina. (laughs) Ah, yes. They were all educated uh, at their home at Welbeck Abbey. They didn't go out to school. Okay. Like... That's kind of normal, though, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think that at this stage, you're talking about some quite upper-class people who probably would have sent their their, their skids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm keeping that in. (laughs) Probably would have sent their little shits uh, (laughs) off to private schools or boarding houses. I mean, maybe. Okay, so it, it seems from... Uh, correspondence with his future friends, because he does get away from home. Okay. Uh, And all his friends are called William because he (laughs) doesn't want to break the habit. (laughs) They kind of saw him as quite shy and retiring and a little bit weird. Okay. Um, So there definitely was a difference. Whether or not it was normal that they were all educated at home or whether or not it was weird that they stayed there rather than going out to boarding school, they do seem to have been weird regardless. Okay, so they're these strange people and they're not associating with other people. They're not doing like parties or anything like that. No, so we can can speculate quite a lot about them (laughs) as a result of this. Thank you, Williams. Exactly, exactly. Well, the Bentinks. Thank you, William Bentinks. The Cavendish Bentinks, I believe they're generally known. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the names are crazy, don't worry. There's one later which... Oh, you're going to love. Good. Um, So like I say, much can be speculated about this, particularly for like why they were like this. Some people, as I said, said they were just sort of shy private people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people suggested it was misanthropy, that they just hated other people. Uh, And there's also some suggestion that they might have suffered from uh, genetic mental health difficulties with anxiety and agoraphobia. Okay. How many, how many children did you say he was part of? Nine. Okay. I feel like if you're misanthropic, yeah, then having eight other people around you, regardless of whether they're related to you, might be like still a bit too many. I mean, probably, but this is an era of you know passing on the family line, sure. Especially if you're in the fairly high stages of the nobility here, like we're talking about a duke. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting being like, oh, they just don't like people. And it's like, I am constantly surrounded by people. (laughs) Well, they were surrounded by people in Welbeck Abbey, which is a pretty large estate. It's about 15,000 acres. Yeah, they must have had a load of servants. (laughs) Um, Yes, and yeah. I mean, the, the early life we don't know too much about. Okay. Later on, you'll see... There's a lot of people get involved. So I think misanthropy is probably not likely, but there are still some suggestions. Anyway, okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Because there are other suggestions that he that John Bentinck was a very tall, handsome young man who exhibited no sort of eccentricities. Okay. Um, like I say, he was educated at home, uh, but in 1818, he went into the army with his younger brother, George. Okay. He entered as an ensign. So a very low-ranking officer Mm -hmm. and couldn't really find advancement. I don't think military life really suited him. I think he was... He just kind of did it because it was the dumb thing among young gentlemen at the time, especially if you're not the first son. Yeah, okay. Uh, mm. It Also, he may not have advanced well because he was known to have chronic health problems and this made him very lethargic. So he's just sort of tired all the time. Oh, bless him. Imagine joining the army and just being like, men, we are going to charge today. But I'm tired. <laughs> but captain. <laughs> <laughs> well, saying he's going, you're going to charge today, he didn't. No. He 
swapped around commissions an awful lot, sometimes like causing some difficulties because of what he wanted to do, because he basically wanted to avoid active service at all costs. Great, sure. So he was frequently on half pay as a result of this and as a result of his medical difficulties. But exchanging commissions did provide advancement. He did become a captain. Great. uh, (laughs) In the Grenadiers, no less. (laughs) You don't want a tired, ill man handling <laughs> explosives. Well, maybe that maybe that's just useful. Maybe because he's sleepy, um, they're just oh, they just sort of go okay. So we're going to fire the cannons, which was a really dangerous thing to do at <laughs> yeah, that time yeah, for the yeah. people firing the cannons. Yeah. and they're like, oh, we don't have to fire the cannons. The captain's asleep. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, just keep the noise down. He won't know. <laughs> Why is Bentinck's platoon, they, they have such a high survival rate because they don't bloody do anything. <laughs> They're just sitting around quietly having a tea party. <laughs> so it's clear that he was not really a military man. No. This was just kind of something to do. And he, he lasted until about 1830. Okay. But before that, something happened. Ooh. His older brother, William... Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) At 27 years old, his older brother William died of a brain abscess. Oh my God. And John became the Marquess of Titchfield. Okay. So his father was still the Duke, but he inherited the sort of lesser title of Mm -hmm. Marquess. And as a result, he was able to take his brother's job as an MP of King's Lynn. Now, I found this very weird... Okay. For a couple of reasons. <laughs> okay. So Welbeck Abbey yes. is located about four miles away from the town of Warsop, which is in Nottinghamshire. Right. Kings Lynn is in East Anglia. <laughs> yes, it is. Very much so. So for those of our listeners who don't know the geography of Britain, they are... They're very far They're apart. They're very far apart. They're considered to be two different parts of the UK. Yeah. So East Anglia is the eastern part of yeah. England. And then Nottingham is in sort of like beginning of the north, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, they're they're fair, fairly far apart by, you know, British standards. Yes. Um, but this was apparently a traditional family seat. Like, a member of the Bentinks had always had this seat. Well, they could clearly represent the people <laughs> of King's Lynn super well. They knew all about the King's Linians. Well, John Bentinck definitely did not represent the interests of the King's Linians because he seems to be completely uninterested in politics. Oh my God. He made practically no speeches and only remained an MP for two years, after which point he gave up the seat to his uncle. Um, His uncle William. His uncle William. Yep who himself, two years afterwards, gave up the seat to John's younger brother, George. And to be fair, George did hold the seat until his death. So he at least was, you know, involved. He actually was quite politically important. Okay. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit. It's not super relevant, but it's quite fun. I just... Okay. Whenever, every once in a while, people in Britain go, you know, we have one of the longest running uh, traditions of parliaments and yeah. um, and rights of the people in this country. And then you have to remember what that really means. And oh, what yeah. that really means is that some random guy who's never been to your <laughs> town represents it because he, like, because his dead brother also represented it <laughs> and then gives up really quickly and gives it to his uncle. Like, yep. this is not a tradition of democracy. <laughs> no, not really. But then who really knows what a democracy is? It's... No, we're getting too much into the current day. Yeah, let's yeah, let's crack enough. on. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so as I said, he was uninterested in politics and uninterested in the military. So he began travelling. Okay. And now he did enjoy himself. Oh, good. He was actually, like, getting involved with stuff. He was finding new places, speaking to new people. And in 1834, had an event which is likely changed him quite a lot. Okay. In 1834, he proposed to a woman, an actress and opera singer called Adelaide Kemble. Nice. She, looking ahead, she was the only woman that John Bentinck ever seemed to really be interested in. It was his okay. only love. Oh. Unfortunately, she turned him down. 
Oh, no. Revealing that she was already secretly married. <gasps> Adelaide. Yeah, but because of her sort of public persona, mm-hmm. it was kept hidden. Of course. It's kind of like those things like when celebrities, you know, want to still be, appe- like, not appealing, that's mm. not the word, available, attainable sort yeah. of thing. Uh, I, I think that was what was going on here. See, I was just thinking about those K-pop stars who've got it written into their yes. contracts that they can't get married. Exactly, It's exactly like that. Amazing. But she secretly was married. But she does seem to have still liked John. Okay. Um, she we, we have letters from her to her friend Harriet... Uh, and she speaks very fondly of him. Mm. And it's it's quite possible that were she not secretly married already, she would have accepted the proposal. Yeah. He seems to have like he seems to have been a good sport about it, kind of hung around afterwards and was still quite nice. There's this whole thing about him uh paying f- to have uh busts of her and her family commissioned. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Just as like a little present. Um I don't know. Part of me kind of goes, he probably, he, I, I think he's thinking, you know, I've still got a chance. Oh, do you think he's like the typical nice guy, I like mean, nice guy TM? I don't, I don't want to think of it like that, but mm. reading the letters, I'm kind of like, yeah. Let it go, man. <laughs> like, I, I do think the healthiest option for him would have been to let it go. Yeah. But some people do cite this heartbreak as the moment when John Bentinck's ex- eccentricities my god why is it so hard to say that (laughs) sentence began to emerge okay um another heartbreak occurred in 1848 his younger brother george died oh no yeah george the only good politician yeah he was possibly i'm gonna be a little bit conspiracy theorist a little bit speculating here he was possibly murdered Ooh, why because he had some unpopular political ideas particularly regarding jewish emancipation which was not popular at the time okay he also worked with benjamin disraeli to try and prevent the repeal of the corn laws and okay and also unseated sir robert peel Ooh, okay so now for our listeners who don't know there's a lot to kind of explain here i guess i think we need to explain it yeah so the corn laws were basically trade tariffs on grains and foodstuffs of that variety and uh, the argument about repealing these tariffs was back and forth quite a bit and it caused quite a bit of political strife Mm. now it seems that john bentick and benjamin disraeli who uh was prime minister i think on two occasions i believe so yeah they tried to prevent repealing these laws and failed ultimately yeah uh i believe that in the discussion they managed to sort of discredit sir robert peel and got okay. him unseated all right from his position in parliament and like i say ideas of jewish emancipation mm-hmm. not popular at the time mm. Benjamin Disraeli is kind of an interesting figure in this discussion because he was jewish yes and had um converted to christianity mm. i think um but there's there's all there's often the sort of thought that perhaps he did that so that he could have a political career because he wouldn't have been able to have it as yeah. a jewish person at that time so there's some some people have speculated that these political ideals because it seems that for a while george was kind of like the rest of his family didn't really talk in parliament very much yeah and then the corn law stuff started happening And he's like, no, I'm getting involved. And suddenly became this major player in political circles. So there's some suggestion he may have been murdered, especially because he was just found dead outside uh, on a sort of dark and stormy night. We should also point out that Sir Robert Peel was the man who created the police force as it exists in Britain today. So, you know, ACAB, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) You said not to make it too modern. <laughs> I know, I don't really mean it. I'm no. sorry, police officers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. So there is some suggestion. I think the the official idea is that he basically died of a heart attack. Okay. Um, he was quite young, but who knows? But I, it sounds like this family dies young all the yeah, time I if think... they're dying at the age of 27 from brain aneurysms or yeah, whatever. I, th- I think there are some genetic problems. Mm. But anyway, so at that point, he was close to his brother. As I said, they went into the army at the same time. So yeah. he's not only had his heart broken, he's lost probably his closest friend. 
And then in 1854, six years afterwards, his father dies. Okay. Jesus. Yeah. So he's had two brothers, either side of him in the family, die. His dad's died and now he has become the fifth Duke of Portland. And he's only left with, what, six other Williams? (laughs) Yes. I don't really know what happened to them, I have to say. I didn't really look into it too much because this is one of those things where... I heard the idea. This is actually a listener suggestion uh, okay. this episode. Oh, really? Um, yes, yes. So thank you to a uh, lovely young couple, Zoe and Joe, for sending this in <laughs> to us. Um, I love our pretense that that's not your parents. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a listener suggestion. All right. We have listeners. <laughs> anyway. So when I first started reading the story, I thought, oh, you know, this is quite a fun little story. I'll go into it. And then I did the basic research because I usually start off doing these episodes by like just looking on the Wikipedia page, Mm -hmm. just sort of get a general idea. And then I start looking into more and more things. And when I started looking into those more and more things, that became so interesting. But it was too much to put in this episode so i didn't really look into the siblings beyond <laughs> that's fair enough yeah there's beyond. a lot of williams it's gonna get confusing exactly so like i said he's become the fifth duke of portland and he was to be made a peer in the house of lords okay um again for anyone who doesn't know the british political system we have two houses the house of commons and the house of lords mm-hmm. house of commons are our elected members of parliament and house of lords are the peers the basically nobility shall we say yeah people who are made into peers as well so some of them are inherited titles and some of them it's like uh you happen to be really good friends with a member of the government at the moment and then they make you into a lord exactly yep it's not at all problematic not at all but anyway so he was to be made a peer in the house of lords because of hereditary. Sure. But it's not like he was already an MP in the House of Commons. <laughs> well, no, you gave that up. Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, he didn't actually take up his position for three years oh because he just didn't turn up to take his oaths. <laughs> like I said. I love him so much. He doesn't care. <laughs> no, he's just kind of he's just kind of bored with everything around him. But what he was no longer bored with was his work on his estate. Okay. Because now began the great project for which he is remembered. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to imagine that you are a worker, a labourer, a craftsman, or possibly even you're homeless and jobless. Okay. And you... Poor blimey. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a Victorian We're in Nottingham, dear. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in Victorian times speaks with a Cockney Poor accent. Blimey. Poor blimey. <laughs> I'm from Yorkshire, I am. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, anyway, so you turn up in the town of Warsaw and you hear that there is work on the estate uh, belonging to the Bentings, uh, the place known as Welbeck Abbey. And you know, may- like maybe you're between jobs or like I say, you're completely jobless or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you are a journeyman. You wander around just selling your services as a sort of freelancer. And here's my chance to make a few... <laughs> <laughs> to make a, a few, few shillings. <laughs> ah, you went with... I went with the, uh, the, the slang term. Yeah, you're right. Uh, here's my chance to make a few bob. I'll just head down to... Where am I going? Welbeck Abbey. I'll just head down to Welbeck Abbey. So... You hear that the pay is quite good, even if you are homeless, even if you are an indigent or vagrant, like you will still be paid basically what a skilled labourer would be paid. Well, this is seeming mighty suspicious. (laughs) Well, certainly generous. You turn up to the estate and you see that a very tall wall surrounds the entire estate, effectively blocking it off from the rest of the world. Okay, is this going to be an Elizabeth Bathory situation? No, it is, not. No, it is much nicer. Okay. Like I said, 15,000 acres or so, completely surrounded by this very tall wall. Cool, blimey. You what get, a tall wall. <laughs> you, get in, <laughs> you get inside and you uh, speak to a foreman or someone in charge. You get your job Mm -hmm. because it's quite easy to get your job here all right you are given a fancy new hat what a fancy hat (laughs) yes and an umbrella what and a donkey (laughs) 
What? Because you are also given lodgings within the walls of the Welbeck Abbey estate. Okay. And it's quite big. So to travel to where you need to work on the estate, you ride on the back of a donkey. You have a hat given to you to keep the sun off you and an umbrella if it rains. You also- Sorry, this is so cute. It is adorable. <laughs> Imagine if you turned up on one of those big campuses today in Silicon Valley, like if you're working for, I don't know, Apple or something. And they're like, I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> Thank you for joining Tesla. Here's your hat, umbrella and donkey. I mean, it would be great if it was Tesla. It's an electric donkey. Uh, well, so the donkeys, they don't always get these because the donkeys start chewing all the trees. Oh no. So they eventually stop giving everyone donkeys. Well, yes. But fortunately they have other forms of transportation as well. Segways. Not far off. Oh my god! Not far <laughs> okay. off. You are Cyberpunk given, subways. You are given a pair of roller skates. <gasps> and what? You also, you also have a roller skating rink for all the workers that you are encouraged to go on for at least half an hour each day. <laughs> Why? Why is that a thing? Well, because your new lord has quite a fondness for roller skating. Okay. Now, I don't know about you. Whenever I think of roller skating, I think of like the 1970s to 90s. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Not... Like, I'm definitely thinking that this place has got like um, some Bee Gees music <laughs> yes. playing in the background. Everyone's wearing like tight short shorts. Yep. And occasionally trying to dance in the middle with their big old roller skates on. <laughs> While wearing a hat and carrying an umbrella. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. So... <laughs> what you've basically found inside these walls is a small private village. Yeah. You have lodgings there. You have an on-site sort of hospital with doctors. Your healthcare is free. What? Yeah. Okay. So... In context for this, the running and maintenance of Welbeck Abbey Estate ran to, from what we can work out, as about £100,000 a year. Is that today's money? No. Okay, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) So, to put this in context, as we always do with Pride and Prejudice... Okay, let's go for it. Mr Darcy earns £10,000 a year and is considered... Incredibly wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. Granted, that was 40 years True, before. but it we're still talking... It that much. No, we're still talking about 10 times that amount. Yes. And that's, to, that's not like how much he earns, that's how much this place costs to maintain. Yes. So like I say... That's because of all the roller skating. Yep. Yeah. Well, yes. DJs in- aren't cheap, you know. <laughs> So what have you been hired to do? I mean, depending on your experience, you might be tending the grounds, which included farmland, such as a 22-acre kitchen garden. Wow. (laughs) The high walls not only help keep the rest of the world out, but also provide warmth for the many peach trees that are growing. Because, you know, sunlight Mm -hmm. reflects off the walls and it helps warm them. Not only that, but there are braziers that have been constantly lit in order to help warm the trees and thus make them fruit faster. Does this... Okay, peaches. Peaches, yeah. Okay, but, like, does he just really like peaches? I think so, He must be spending a lot to get this to work. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the wall's set up now. Like, the cost of that is minimal. That's maintenance That's true. It's the braziers that are getting me. Yeah, but I think that's... You know, we've got to remember, he's pretty profligate when it comes to maintaining his idea of what his estate should be. Sure, okay. So you could be working in the garden, sort of running everything there. You Mm -hmm. could be like doing the normal housework. You probably don't see your lord and master very often. Okay. Um, Well, it's 22 acres. Like, he can't be everywhere. That's just the kitchen garden. Yeah, that's true. You also notice that the house is a weird mix of architectural designs. Okay. Like, some of it's quite old and sort of old-fashioned. A lot of it is also very new. There's mm-hmm. different cultural styles going on. Some of it is based on Louis Fourteenth, so it's all very gaudy oh and my gold. Oh, Okay. Yep. It's a real mishmash of things going on there. But you're more than likely going to be tasked with John Bentinck's great work. Okay. Which would generally involve 
digging out great trenches of earth in the ground, placing circular wooden tunnels into them and then covering them over. Because John Bentick, as I said at the beginning, was known as the Tunneling Lord. Yes. He wanted to create an enormous series of tunnels and rooms beneath the ground of Welbeck Abbey. No one knows exactly how many tunnels there were because many of them have since collapsed. They were not maintained after John Bentick's death. Okay. Some figures put it in the region of 15 miles worth of tunnels. Okay. Underneath the abbey and, spoilers, out beyond as well. Oh my God. Okay. Um... So, is John Bentinck just a giant hamster? Is this what we're saying? He's a badger. He's a badger. This is the inspiration for Mr. Badger. Okay. Who is Lord of the Wood. And oh, that's true. loves being underground and tunnelling because, you know, badger. Badgers. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, strictly speaking, many of these tunnels were not, like, completely underground. Some of them poked above it so that skylights could be put in. Oh, nice. So, you basically have just a sort of, like walkway with views of the sky above uh, there were other tunnels that were completely underground and were lit by gas lamps and mm-hmm. some of them were only allowed to be traversed by the duke okay because the duke the tunnel in lord has a variety of different odd rules in place now the accounts that i read are kind of contradictory in places okay so i'm going to kind of present them as, all as much as I can, mm. but I I don't know which of these is true. Yeah. So some stories say that the staff were forbidden from looking or acknowledging the existence of John Bentinck. There's a story that uh, one man was fired because he tipped his cap to the Duke. Oh. Yeah. The only member of staff who was allowed to acknowledge the Duke and talk to him was his personal valet. Okay, that makes sense. Because, you know... You've got to have someone. Exactly. (laughs) Otherwise you can't control anything. Yeah. He was said to have doors around his bed so that people wouldn't know if he was in there or not. He also had... He would shut himself up in a room and there were two sets of letterboxes. Right. One in and one out so that food could be given to him and he could put stuff out without ever interacting with anyone. There were some stories that he would be given like a whole roast chicken at lunch. Yeah. And he would just have half of it for lunch and half of it for dinner and then just leave out the empty plates. Wow. Yeah. He was said to walk around wearing a very long coat with a very high collar, hats with wide brims, and sometimes even a mask around his face, or like a cloth mask, mm-hmm. to hide hide him. Uh, this led to some rumours that he was actually like severely disfigured. That makes sense. Yeah. How interesting. Okay. But there are other stories as well. He was also said to be very encouraging to his workers and liked them a lot and would sometimes coach them in rowing and sailing. Oh, It was said that he also liked to play tricks on the staff. Using his series of underground tunnels, which only he kind of knew the full extent of, Mm -hmm. he would pop out of little trap doors (laughs) and startle them. Which I don't think, like, possibly you can do that in a sort of misanthropic way. But if it is, it's very half-hearted misanthropy. <laughs> it's like, I hate people, but also, ha-ha, it's me! Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, what if he was the inspiration for Super Mario? <laughs> he could be. <laughs> I mean, looking at pictures of him, I don't think so. Okay. Um, there are other things as well that kind of, like, we don't exactly know what happened here. Uh, like I said, he was known to be quite generous with his workers. Like he yeah. paid them fifteen shillings a week, okay, uh, which was like standard pay, or slightly above standard pay. But like I said, he would give that to everyone. Everyone was kind of equal. Okay, so those people who were homeless, mm-hmm. who had problems like that, they could find work and be paid a proper wage rather than you know be exploited. Yeah. There is some suggestion, though, that he was also a little bit dismissive of his staff because sometimes there were occasions when uh, they they went on strike. Okay. Because they basically went, this guy is spending £100,000 a year on his estate. Yeah. He can afford to pay us more than 15 shillings a week. I mean, I see what they mean. I do. 
but also this you're not going to find another landlord who's encouraging you to roller skate for no. 30 minutes a day or who's going to give you lodging and free healthcare. <laughs> that's yeah that's quite a lot for the time yeah so some accounts of him dealing with this were basically he spoke to the striking workers and they said basically if you don't pay us more you'll never be able to finish your tunnels and his response was to say okay fine it doesn't really matter to me if the work is never finished now i actually i don't think i believe this version of the story because this comes from uh, a book written in 1907 by writer charles ashard okay I think that is, if we're talking about 1907, you start to get a real class problem in Britain. I think this is kind of a, ah, this man was good and stood up to the... The workers. The workers, yes, exactly. Mm. I, I, I think it's more likely that he would have done a private deal and it just wasn't really known about because, you know, private man. Mm. Okay. I don't see him as making this sort of big boisterous statement and like bravely standing before the striking workers and saying, ah, like, bugger off if you don't like it sort of thing. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that's just me wanting him to be a better person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think about it. Like, the problem is that if he is this misanthropic person who's so shy and retiring that he basically stays in his private parts of the tunnels and in his bedroom and mm-hmm. um, doesn't really see anyone and fires anyone who talks to him. Yeah. Then I can't see him saying that because then he would have had to talk to people. Exactly. Um, but if he's like this guy who just wants to have a fun apparently and yeah. wants to go on his roller skating rink and like encourage people to have a nice time um i could see him being a bit cheesed like cheesed off at these guys being like oh you can afford more when i'm like i'm already spending a (laughs) hundred thousand on this estate i can't possibly spend any more money like who has any more money i don't know i mean he's pretty fascinating in that regards yeah so the duke himself did have some interests beyond you know tunneling he did seem to love the great outdoors, which is strange considering some people think he's agoraphobic. <laughs> um, okay. He loved horse riding and he loved hunting. Did he just do that within his walls, though? Well, sort of. He did have an enormous riding area built, like mm-hmm. a, a separate how- riding house, which was 1,200 feet long. And uh, he, had, okay. he had over 100 horses. Oh, my God. He even had tunnels that you could ride on horses down. Uh, oh! In fact, there were some tunnels that were so large, mm-hmm. you could have two full carriages riding abreast. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I thought, like, he does have these interests beyond just kind of tunneling. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. If you're agoraphobic, yeah. can you... Okay. May, what if you're just a really wealthy agoraphobe? Like, maybe... If everything you see belongs to you, then you can Mm. deal with being outside because it's not scary because you own it. Possibly so. I must admit, I I don't know a great deal about agoraphobia. No, me neither. It's one of those things that there are a lot of popular ideas about and I bet they're wrong. It's like OCD. Yeah. It's like how, like, I I have OCD, Mm -hmm. but I don't exhibit it in the normal way (laughs) otherwise this place would be spotless how dare you i do my best you do do a good job (laughs) you do a good job but it's not like no i'm i'm not i'm not obsessive about cleanliness no um anyway so i thought i might also tell you about like the construction of some of these tunnels and like what there is or was beneath welbeck abbey okay so like i said there's a great series of tunnels some of them with skylights on just Mm -hmm. for sort of traveling around there's a tunnel that goes to the riding house yeah, so that he can just go and spend time with his horses without seeing anyone else. He, <laughs> but there is moments when you just need to spend time with a hundred horses. Yeah. And don't we all just want that on occasion? Yes. Just to be surrounded by a hundred horses. Just always. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I'm just now imagining they're all Shetland ponies. Aww. That would be so cute. <laughs> he also had a tunnel that extended beyond the house uh, Four miles away to the town of Warsop. Okay. Possibly to the train station. 
We'll get to that a little bit later because that actually comes up actually after his death. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Did the people of Warsaw know about that tunnel? I believe they did. It seems that that tunnel was created was because he had real problems with the fact that outside his estate were public footpaths. (laughs) Oh, no. He didn't want people wandering around even outside his estate. Okay. But rightly so, the people in charge of the area basically Mm. went, no, no, you can't ban people from walking on what is not your property. <laughs> so oh we God. had this tunnel built. Okay, so he didn't even have to see people. Exactly. Okay. He also had a library under there, which was 250 feet long. Wow. Yeah. A vast billiards room, apparently. Good. I mean, he is a Victorian lord. You've got to have a billiards room. Exactly. Possibly one of the most well-known rooms underground was his great hall it was ostensibly built as a ballroom but it was never used as such he didn't hold any parties his family didn't really go into that sort of stuff and he definitely didn't go into that stuff so this great hall was used for a number of different things it could hold two thousand people okay it was but really he only wants one person in there well you could say that you could say that Because in this great hall is a portrait of Adelaide Kemble. Oh, no. Yeah. Give it up, man, for God's (laughs) sake. You can't know. Imagine, I'm just imagining this one guy, like, standing sadly in a room built for 2,000 people, staring at this massive portrait of the girl who happened to be married to someone else. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. No, just get over it. (laughs) That's pretty much what happened here. Go outside, look at a public footpath, see some people. Well, I mean, he can see nature even while in the Great Hall, because on the roof, was an enormous mural of a sunset, which was apparently beautifully done. And not only that, could be reached from below because there was an early elevator put in. Oh my God. (laughs) That you could go from beneath upwards approaching the beautiful sunset. Okay. I'm very frustrated with this man. I don't know why. (laughs) He also had his personal underground roller skating rink. Good. So that, you know, he didn't have to go out and see other people if he just wanted to roller skate, which seems to have been his other passion. (laughs) He could have done so much with this money. I mean, yeah, but... I, I, I kind of like this. I mean, like, I, it's it's such a fun story that in a way, I know that it's quite sad in many ways, but I'm quite glad he did this because it's so weird. I mean, okay, I appreciate that he's really weird yeah. and possibly agoraphobic yeah. and possibly so misanthropic that he hates to see anyone at any yeah. point ever. But also, I'm sure you can, like, and he does do fun things, which is yeah. nice, which yeah. is nice. But also, could he just, like... Not make it about a woman for, like, a second. Yeah. There are a few of those things that it's like, this guy clearly has some hang-ups. Personally, I think that... I don't think that he's um, misanthropic so much. I think he has, like, severe anxiety problems. Mm. Because it seems like he is generally, like, capable of living a normal life, as it were, but then also has these things that are just in place just to make him comfortable. I think this is a person who has an undiagnosed and untreated anxiety disorder. Possibly it is a version of agoraphobia. Um, But he is relatively high-functioning because he has the money to kind of shape the world around him rather than, you know, having to try and live in a world that it's difficult for him to live in. I mean, whatever you've got to do for (laughs) self-care... Whether it's just having like a nice day on the sofa, just get some nice comfort food and watch some comforting TV, or build an enormous series of underground tunnels. 15 miles of tunnels. 15 miles of tunnels. By 100 horses. (laughs) They're your emotional support, 100 horses. (laughs) They've all got those little vests on. They have all got those little vests on. He's allowed to take them on aeroplanes in the US. It's fine. A hundred of them at once, obviously. Of course, yeah. he needs all a hundred exactly. of horses. He needs to be surrounded by a wall of horses. I'm sort of like, okay, so... I mean, 
I love it. Should we be petitioning the government so, so that all people with anxiety, you know, <laughs> us, us included, yes. have our own underground tunnels? Yes. <laughs> we would only be able to get a certain number of under a certain amount of underground tunneling going on in our estate, I think. I mean, true, but we could get a tunnel to the pub down the road. That would be quite good. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> But then everyone would have to have, like, because there's such a large proportion of people with anxiety, yeah. like, there would be quite a lot of underground tunnels. Yeah, this is true. But I mean, th- so this is kind of my theory on it. I think, it, possibly agoraphobia, I think that does come under the category of anxiety disorders. Yeah. Uh, I'm not... Right, I, th- I think it does. I think it does. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in myself. Um, I think, yeah, he had an undiagnosed anxiety problem and had the money and didn't really have anyone like stopping him yeah because you know he's got the money he's got the space and he's got the authority yeah so like i say i i think he just kind of saw that he could shape the world around him to better fit how he wanted it to be i feel like that also makes sense with flaking out on taking his oaths in the house of lords because at the peak of my anxiety i would totally have not gone to the house of lords and just like never explained why and makes sense why he doesn't really want to be part of the military why he wants to avoid active service and even why he doesn't really want to be an mp like that's a very public role Mm. so yeah no like screw an active lifestyle just live underneath your own estates yeah well i mean he has an active lifestyle oh, it's just that it's uh, a, a a public lifestyle, a public though. lifestyle yeah that, that's that's more accurate so as later in life his health began to fail him uh he did for a family that has like chronic health problems he lived a surprisingly long time okay uh he died in 1879 oh not bad uh so yeah 79 years old mm-hmm. uh it's good when people are born i love it when people years. are born on 100 years <laughs> thank you sir yeah so later in life he struggled to move around so much so he kind of relegated himself to just living in a few rooms in his estate. Mm. Uh, He had them all painted pink. What shade? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a world of difference between like a salmon pink and a hot pink. I think it is a sort of salmon pink. Okay. Um, I couldn't be certain though. He did also have a toilet installed in each room that he like stayed in yeah um, i mean that makes sense also if you're a sort of too. elderly gent who's starting to have difficulties getting around <laughs> i thought you were going to say having difficulties with incontinence well i mean <laughs> i wasn't gonna say <laughs> yeah it's much easier to run to the bathroom if you've got a bathroom in every room yeah. <laughs> although it reminds me of when my brother used to make sims houses oh right he yes. used to so um he, we when we used to play the sims one he used yep. to build these houses that just had like a hundred toilets in the <laughs> same room and i mean if you're um if you're william then presumably you can do that if you yeah want. i mean I, I think the sims is is one of those things where everyone does like weird <laughs> shit with it. maybe this is the thing maybe you just saw life as like playing the sims I mean, he's created underground tunnels. Yes. Um, he said that everyone gets a hat and umbrella and a donkey or yeah. roller skates. Um, <laughs> until the donkeys start chewing the fruit trees. Until the donkeys start <laughs> chewing the fruit trees. He's decided, you know, I'm going to have this massive, massive wall. Yep. That's such a Sims thing to do. It is very Sims, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God. The only thing he needs to do now is to drown someone in the swimming pool by taking out the stairs. <laughs> well, no, he coached rowing and sailing instead. So I don't think he ever drowned anyone. No. I think he was very much against drowning in those regards. (laughs) So, like I say, he died in 1879. He actually didn't die on uh, Welbeck Estate, uh, Welbeck Abbey. What? No, he had a a number of other residences. It doesn't seem like he visited them very often, but he died in London. Okay. And uh, he was buried in kind of like a family plot. And there's quite a sort of, quite a tasteful monument to him. Nice. But that's not quite where our story ends. Because he comes back to... No. (laughs) He doesn't come back to life. But not long after, in 1897, a woman by the name of Anna Maria Druce claims that he had lived a double life. What? Okay. So, like I say, John Bentick never married. No. He proposed to Adelaide Kemble and then never seemed interested in anyone again. He had no children. Mm -hmm. Some people were speculating that he had secret illegitimate children. Not sure about that, but... Difficult to say. Yeah. But 
Anna Maria Druce claimed that he'd lived this double life as an upholsterer. What? Okay, not... sorry. Sorry, you need to just pause <laughs> there. We need to take that in. <laughs> Maybe he just really wanted like to work in trade, but he couldn't because he's part of the aristocracy. No, I just I just need to reflect. On, I still need to reflect on that for a moment. Are you good? Yes. <laughs> so she claimed he was this upholsterer who was also her husband and father to her children. Okay. Her claim was that the tunnel he used to get into Warsop and specifically to the train station was so that he could travel to London unobserved and live the second life. The reason that he his servants didn't really see him that much and why he had like these doors around his bed was so that people, not that people couldn't see him, but so that they didn't know that he wasn't actually there. Okay. And that he was away in London doing upholstery. <laughs> um... No, no, that's totally, like, that's total bullshit. Well, it kind of captured the imagination of the public a bit for a few reasons. Um, firstly, because of fiction at the time, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, okay. had been published and everyone was becoming really interested in, like, what? That would just be such a different book if <laughs> Dr. Jekyll takes his formula that he's created and he's like, oh no, I feel myself yearning to reupholster a sofa. <laughs> I think I might settle down and have two children. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, that's, no. <laughs> but okay, but the thing is, it's the idea of the double life is in public consciousness. And not only that, but scandals are starting to emerge about high society men having affairs with like maids and governesses and things like that yeah and also we're seeing the advent of freudian psychoanalysis so people start to understand that you know someone's public persona might not match their private thoughts and sure. the way they okay. want to be yes so you have an affair with your governess or something or you put up somebody in a house in london and you go visit them and you tell the servants that you're out in london you don't build endless <laughs> tunnels and go you know what I think I'm going to get a new profession, which apparently I'm doing solidly enough that I must be out of my estate like five days a week. Wouldn't the servants notice food piling up? Like, Well, no, because it goes in the hidden uh, letterbox. Yeah, but, but then it comes out again, surely. But maybe it's not the same servant who goes by. Maybe someone assumes that someone else has done it because who knows how the master acts? Well, anyway, I no, get, I this get, is, she's made it up. Okay, I get that you think this is crazy. Yes, and don't worry because everyone else thought it was crazy too. And Anna Maria Druce was actually put in an asylum in 1903. Oh, oh no, I didn't want her to go to an asylum. Well, you you're responsible for this. You poo pooed her so much that the British authorities took her and locked her away in an asylum. Oh my, I don't think she's mad. I just think she's making it up for attention. She might be a bit mad. Oh, okay, yeah. So you might think. That story ends there. But it doesn't. Oh my God. Because, because he was actually secretly <laughs> no, a carpenter. No, it's because her son takes up the case. Oh, sure. To say that his father was John Bentinck, 5th Duke of Portland. Right. So he finds a witness who said that he saw the fake burial of his supposed father. And that the coffin was filled with lead. This is the this is the funeral of the upholsterer. Yeah. The witness himself, as I said, said he saw the fake burial and that the coffin was full of lead. So they asked for the coffin of this upholsterer to be exhumed. Right. So that they could once and for all show this coffin's full of lead. John Bentick is actually my father. Okay. So in 1907, they managed to do this. They managed to get an order for the body to be exhumed. Right. They open up the coffin. Okay. And there's a body in there. Yes, of course there is. And it's identified as the upholsterer. <laughs> Loads of people were charged with perjury, <laughs> including this witness who was later found out to be a massive sensationalist who kind really? of liked to insert himself in like high profile cases. And he himself was put in an asylum in 1911. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 
So yeah, it looks like that wasn't true, but I think it goes to show that, you know, people were fascinated with this idea of this, this weird, mad, tunneling duke. Yeah. And why he did what he did, because like, we don't really know. It's, it's all thrown up in a lot of sensationalism mystery. Yeah. So before we finish, I'll just talk a little bit about like what happened to the Abbey after uh, John Bentinck's death. So the sixth Duke of Portland was his cousin. Mm. His cousin, William John Arthur Charles James Cavendish Bentinck. What was his name again? <laughs> his name <laughs> was William John Cavendish Scott Bentinck. Which okay. is a much shorter name. <laughs> Than William John um, Arthur Charles James Cavendish Bentinck. <laughs> you can make that into a poem, I yeah, think. Yeah, he, uh, he did a lot of restoration to the house because it was falling apart in places. Mm-hmm. He made the architecture a little bit more standardised so it wasn't such a mishmash. Fair. And basically ignored the tunnels. Oh. It's a bit of a shame because it did allow many of them to collapse after time, which is why we don't really know exactly how widespread these tunnels were. Mm. Uh, Like I said, it's reckoned that it's between a dozen and 15 miles worth of tunnels, but we we don't know for certain. I want to say something in defence of the cousin. Oh, the cousin's a great guy. I'll tell you more about oh, that in nice. a sec. But you, you go ahead first. Like, I think that it's fair for him not to upkeep the tunnels, given mm. that the original William John something Cavendish Scott... <laughs> Benton. Benting. Um, ...was spending £100,000 yeah. on the estate. I kind of assume that you might want to cut costs if you're I at all sensible. I think so too, yeah. And it seems that the, the Duke and his wife, uh, they were... Like, pretty decent people. They were custodians and collectors of fine art. Mm -hmm. And they were known to be very respectful and generous to the hundreds of staff that they employed. Good. There was a former servant who was a footman before the First World War who wrote that most of the staff had a job for life, Mm -hmm. were well cared for in the estate's own hospital blocks. They still maintained that. Good. And at such times, nothing was deducted from their wages. And this is at a time when the working class really had no privileges and yeah. no help from the government. So it seems like... Yeah, that's pre- like they're pretty good. The family seems pretty good in that regard, which is why I kind of I lean more towards John Bentick being like an anxious eccentric rather yeah. than a misanthrope. So later on, it passes through the generations and actually becomes run by the Ministry of Defence. Uh, They used it as a training grounds until as late as 2005. Oh. Yeah. Uh, They've now moved that location to a separate purpose-built training facility. And the property now is... It's one of those places, it's like an... uh, It's not a National Trust property, but it's like that sort of thing. You can go and tour the estate. Unfortunately, you cannot go into the underground tunnels. Well, fair enough. I mean, they were made of wood in the first place. Yeah. You'd have to really upkeep those. Exactly. So, unfortunately, you can't go spelunking under Welbeck Abbey, but you can still go and you can see the places. And I believe they've kept the shade of pink. Good. In the rooms. Good. That John Bentinck had. But you know what? Like, even though you can't see the tunnels, I think it's a fantastic legacy. It's very good. Especially when later on you become the inspiration for Mr. Badger from The Wind in the Willows. Yeah. So that's John Bentinck. What do you think? I think he just needed to get over her. Like, that's genuinely <laughs> what I think. I mean, you don't need oh, to spend £100,000 a year. I don't think that's all that was there. No, I know. I, I like I like his roller skating. I like yeah. his treatment of his workers. Yeah. Um, or I, possibly very practical jokes. Or, or possibly paying practical jokes. But that's still quite cute. Yeah. Like, that's fine. That's um, why I think, like I said, anxious eccentric. Sure. Like, yeah. He had these problems. This is how he dealt with them. Yeah. Like... I wouldn't do it, but that's largely because I don't have the capability to do what he did. <laughs> I mean, so one of my dreams is to, at some point, create an Anglo-Saxon style house in our garden, if we have a garden big enough, <laughs> which is sort of underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I, I can sympathise with him to a certain extent. Not maybe to 15 miles worth of tunnels, but, you know, like... I mean, we'd have to have a pretty big garden for it to be that much, or else it just is. sort of, like, keeps running back on itself. Well, this is what I was thinking. Like, maybe you could do it like the ultimate game of snake. Mm. I was thinking intestines, but your one is much less gross. Mm. <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening to that episode of That Time When. Uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme song, Anachronist, and any other music that I've put in here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4, or just search That Time When, and you'll see our little shield pop up. Uh, if you want to email any suggestions, like the lovely young couple, Zoe and Joe, <laughs> who are not my parents. They are his parents. Shush. <laughs> um, then, yes, you can email us at ttwpod at gmail.com with any ideas. Uh, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. That would be great. And we'll see you next week for another episode of That Time When. Thank you. Bye.